Father, we had the opportunity in these last few moments to acknowledge who you are, to acknowledge that you are the great I am, uh, that your son Jesus Christ is the great I am, and that the Holy Spirit is the great I am, because you are the triune God, uh, the one and only God. And so, Father, as we open up your truth, uh, your love letter to us in the Word of God, we ask that you would open up our minds so that we may engage uh, in these things that are spiritual, uh, in a way that only the Spirit can teach us, as well as being able to use it to apply it to our lives so that we may live in a way that does, as we've sung, glorify you. Uh, so, Father, we commit this time to you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 1. Our text, uh, as we uh, continue on in this uh, section of God's sovereign plan of salvation, uh, brings us to verses 9 and 10 today. Uh, and I would like to begin by uh, speaking to the fact that we have uh, considered quite a few uh, doctrines in relation to uh, what we've studied up until now. As we look back contextually, uh, even all the way back to verse 1, uh, we have studied the uh, doctrines of election, of adoption, of redemption, of forgiveness, and now what we're going to consider uh, is God's decree. Uh, and we've sung about that uh, even this morning as we've raised our voices. Uh, and God's decree uh, shows his sovereignty over all, that nothing has existence apart from God. Uh, and these next two verses, verses 9 and 10, will answer the question, why? More specifically, why has the Father blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing? Why has the Father chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him? Why has God the Father predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ? Why has God the Father blessed us in the Beloved? Why has God the Father redeemed us through the blood of his Son? Why has God the Father lavished his grace upon us and get forgiven our trespasses? Why has God the Father given us divine knowledge to see and to understand the things of God? And why has God the Father given us practical knowledge to see and understand how we should live in the world in which we find ourselves? So everything contextually up to now, uh, we've been studying, we've been learning as we have you know, taken apart each one of those doctrines and seen how all of them fit together in God's sovereign plan of salvation. Uh, this morning we get to answer uh, the question, why? Why did the Father do all that? Uh, and uh, the simple answer, if you want a simple answer, write down is that God has an eternal purpose to unite all things to him. Uh, and we can see that very plainly uh, uh, in Jesus Christ. And so the first thing we're going to notice, and I'd like to contextually just read, starting in verse 7 there, uh, as you follow along in your Bibles, uh, because we have uh, what we're, I'm entitling the mystery of his will. This is in verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, 
to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So this morning, we get the answer to the question, why? Well, see, God the Father, uh, as part of the, the Godhead in eternity past, set forth a plan in Christ for the fullness of time. So in other words, it wasn't going to be some random act. This wasn't something God did as a knee-jerk reaction to something that he did not count on. What this is, is a, a culmination uh, where God's eternal plan is not only recognized, but is understood and accomplished in Christ. So there's no aspect, as we take a look at all of history, before us and as we look to things yet future, there is nothing that is happening that does not come back to this central thing. Because Christ's work is the apex, the apogee, the zenith of God's eternal plan. If you want to look at it from the sense of a wheel, you know, everything that has happened, past, present, and future, has its source in the hub, which is Christ. Everything comes back to him. Everything points to him. And even an easy example of this, and you know, culturally, you know, we, we look at our calendar as B.C. and A.D. Because Christ coming, taking on human flesh and walking amongst us was the apex. And it was a, a, a culmination in God taking on human flesh so that he could provide salvation through his son, Jesus Christ. So look at it this way. All of the past, the present, and the future converge in Christ. Having originated, where? In eternity. So it's not something that was, like I said, a knee-jerk reaction. This wasn't God trying to scramble to make something happen because something happened that he wasn't aware of. Because that would go contrary to what we know about God and his attributes. So all that to say is do not look to any other place, any other time, or any other way for perspective. And that's exactly what the world does. They, they look everywhere when they should be looking heavenward towards the God who made them. The reason why you shouldn't look at any other place or time or perspective is because Jesus was truthful when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, this is the, this is the convergence, the, the culmination of God's love for us in Christ. And there's still things yet to come because, you know, Christ came and we look back to that event. But you have to remember again that God exists in eternity. And so everything that is happening here in what we consider the present is something that God already knows. Because God knows everything. And the scripture tells he knows even, you know, our tomorrows. That's not because he somehow looks down the corridor of time to try and find out what happens. And as we're going to find as we study God's decree, is that God decreed before the foundation of the world, in eternity, everything that would come to pass. So that he is sovereign over all. That the answers to no one. And we're going to be touching on some subjects that you're, you're probably already starting to think, well, how is it possible that God could decree and be sovereign over that which is evil? Well, hold on to that thought. I'll speak to that. 
But know that this mystery, this this uh, uh, truth of Jesus Christ coming, that was part of God's will, was something that was set forth in Christ in the fullness of time. It wasn't a mistake. There was a plan that was decided upon before God even created. Second, in relation to the mystery of his will, is the fact that God's purpose is to unite all things in him, in heaven and on earth. That's what it says at the end of verse 10. So, you want to know the why, here's the why. Why did God do all those things as we look contextually at everything that we've studied up until now? It's to unite all things in him. Things in heaven and things on the earth. Because he is the judge. He is the just judge. He is the lawgiver. And so what he is going to do in uniting everything in him is either going to be through salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, or final judgment, where we find that the Bible speaks very clearly, is a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. A place called hell that is very real, whether our culture embraces it or not, or believes it exists or not. But the thing is, God is just in all those things, and that is him bringing all things and uniting all things in himself. If you hold your finger there in chapter 1 and flip over to chapter 2 in the book of Ephesians, you can see this uh, as Paul addresses it even a little bit more. It says there in verse 14 of chapter 2, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. So making peace. And might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, therefore killing the hostility. So as God unites everything to himself, whether through his just judgment because of his wrath on our sin, which we are worthy of because we have broken God's law. Or, the other side, where we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ for salvation, and Jesus Christ takes our wrath upon himself on that cross, killing the hostility. See, it's a beautiful thing, and shows the sovereignty of God overall. There is no aspect, there is no person who will be able to hide because all is exposed to the one to whom we must give an account. God sees it all. He knows your thoughts. He knows why you do what you do. And so therefore, as he brings all of this together, there is only one of two destinations, only one uh, of two things that can potentially happen to you. One is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Otherwise, live for self and pay the consequence. And this uniting and bringing all things together, Paul speaks to this in, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. You know, because we're all on the same level playing field when it comes to standing before God, apart from God. And that is, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, deserving God's punishment for our sin. But what Jesus Christ does through the, his blood, as we learn, he redeems us out. He, he frees us from that slavery. 
so that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the unity that happens. It doesn't happen any other way. There is no other treaty, there is no other negotiation, because this is God's plan from before time, from eternity itself. So I can spend the next few moments together uh, speaking to you, because when we talk about God's uh, will, and as you can see the language here, as we read verses 9 and 10, it talks about His will, His purpose, uh, which He set forth in Christ as a plan to unite all things to Him. And when we speak about this, this is in relation to God's sovereignty overall, what, what we call in theological, you know, terms, God's decree. Uh, and so what I'd like to do is to speak to some of the aspects of God's decree. Um, as he is set into motion in eternity, everything that would come to pass. So that he is still sovereign over it, but yet, as we will look, uh, as it concerns everything, that God is sovereign over both good and evil, but uh, he is not the author. So if you took a look at the 1689 Baptist Confession of Faith, which I don't know if you've got one of those on your you know, bookshelf at home or not. Um, I do. Um, but it says in relation to God's decree, which this Confession of Faith is a summation uh, of, of what the Word of God says in relation to the things of God. You know, part of what we talked about even with God giving us wisdom, which, you know, as we learned, was God giving us divine knowledge to see and to understand God, and the reason why we are in the state we're in. But it says there, God hath decreed in himself from all eternity by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably, all things whatsoever comes to pass. Yet so as thereby is God neither the author of sin, nor hath fellowship with any therein. I got left some of those King James words there, so hope I didn't lose you. But the, the point being is that there are aspects to God's decree. And these are not things that man makes up. These are things that the, the Word of God speaks to directly. And so I'd like to take a few moments to look over some of the aspects of God's decree so we can better understand everything that Paul is speaking to in relation to God's will, his purpose, and his plan, as it says in verses uh, 9 uh, and 10. So first, uh, it is eternal and most wise. Uh, if you keep your finger here, I'd like you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment. Or in, in your case, if you're holding the phone, you can find 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Uh, Paul, as he's uh, speaking to the church at Corinth, uh, it makes this proclamation which uh, shows uh, the importance of, uh, you know, Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. He says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. So in other words, Paul didn't somehow eloquently, in some way that none of us can do, communicate the truth about Jesus Christ and God's plan of salvation. Uh, to redeem those who are under the law. It says in verse 2, For I decided to know nothing 
among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul did not want to get in the way. He did not want to somehow have people trusting in him and his words. What he did is he removed himself from the equation so that what he spoke to was only that which pertained to Christ and why he came. Verse 3 says, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Which, this is interesting because, you know, this is... Paul, who was Saul, who was a Pharisee of Pharisees, and all the things that we looked at at the very beginning when we were introduced to Paul. And here, in relation to salvation and things of Christ, notice the humility. And I was with you in weakness and in fear uh, and much trembling, and my speech and my message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and the power. So in other words, what authority Paul has, he has that authority because God's given it to him to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ. The authority that each one of us here who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ has. Because you'll notice he says, he was in weakness and fear and much trembling and his speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom. So that moment when you find yourself in a discussion about spiritual things with a coworker or a family member, and you know you can't quite come up with all the words, and I think that you have to package it in some way that's going to make it so you don't offend anybody. You need to remember, just like Paul, that he proclaimed the truth, and the truth can set you free, but the truth also shows us for who we are, and people don't like that. So we're trying to package. You know, the truth of Jesus Christ and salvation in him alone is not something that you have to come up with fancy words. You don't have to be eloquent in speech. Because all that's going to do is distract the hearer from hearing the actual good news. Verse 5, he says, That your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. So what Paul is saying is, is that I'm not getting this from my, my peers, my contemporaries. This is not from my training prior to coming to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. This is not the people that are in charge of us or who rule over us who have no fear of God that this wisdom is coming from. This wisdom is coming from God is coming from heaven above. Verse 7, this is the key here. It says, But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So Paul is giving testimony to the fact that God's plan of salvation is outside of time and is unfolding within time. And God will bring all things to him, either in judgment or in forgiveness and reconciliation through the Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 8 goes on to say, and I included this here, because it says, none of the rulers of this age understood this, because they were so concerned about themselves. They looked inwardly at what they could do. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. See, if they understood who was in their presence, that this was God incarnate, that this was Jesus Christ who took on flesh, the, the sinless Son of God. The thing is, that's how we are spiritually. We're dead in our trespasses and sin. 
And even though what could be considered the, the culmination and the apex of all this coming together, Jesus Christ coming as part of God's eternal plan, man could not even recognize it when he was there. And even still, those you know that were you know reading the Old Testament looking for a Messiah, and when the Messiah came, they did not even recognize him. They turned him away. And when he says here, they, they crucified him. So God's decree is eternal and most wise. So it doesn't need to change. You know, it doesn't need to be manipulated. It doesn't need to have things taken away from it or added to it. Because God's plan from eternity is perfect. And everything is unfolding based off of God's decree from before the foundation of the world. It's most wise because our God is wise. He is the the one who knows everything. And he knows how to, uh, in his holiness and his goodness, execute judgment on all that he has made. Second, it is absolute. Uh, God does not need counsel, and nothing interferes with his will. And this is one that, you know, as we think about things, especially nothing interferes with his will. It's hard for us to wrap our minds around because how many times in this past week did what you want to do not get done because something interfered with it because this came up that you didn't count on? You know, we, we are constantly living in a state of flux when it comes to the things that we would like to do uh, and them not happening because of some, you know, uh, other thing coming in and robbing that. But see, that's not the same with God. Nothing can interfere with God's plan because he is the one who is sovereign over all. He is the one who gives life and breath and the the ability to will and to do for his good pleasure. We do not manipulate God. We do not put God into a box. God tells us how things are. Listen to what it says in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 13 and 14. These are rhetorical questions as we begin. It says, Who has measured the spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? And who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? What's the answer to the question? No one. No one. Because he is God Almighty. He is everything that we sung this morning, and things that we didn't even sing about this morning. And if you look there in chapter 1 of Ephesians, uh, verse 11, uh, which we'll speak to in a couple weeks, it says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. All things. Not the things that man gives to God. All things. Everything. Without exception. Because, again, God is sovereign over all. He answers to no one. So it's eternal and most wise. It is absolute. It is unchangeable. Isaiah 46.10 Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. If you don't have this verse committed to memory, you need to know it. 
Because, listen to that, declaring the end from the beginning. So here's God in eternity, before time even began, is able to declare the end from the beginning. Think about that for a minute. That's because God decreed everything that would happen. Everything that has happened in what we know is history and things yet future, God decreed from eternity before there was any time at all. From ancient times, things not yet done. If you think about that for a moment, that, that, that separates God out from every human being on this planet. Because God can tell you about things not yet done. There's things not yet done that are in this word right now. Only a sovereign God overall who decreed from the beginning could give us truth like this. Saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. See, God does, does not need counsel. He does not need to worry about someone interfering with his will because he will accomplish it. And it will not change. Because it need not change. Because it's perfect at all. And lastly, it concerns everything. God's decree concerns everything. And this doesn't matter whether it's big or small, or whether it is good or evil. See, the text that we read earlier, uh, and we've studied before, um, actually in the book of James, when uh, we spoke about you know, uh, saying that God tempted us. Um, God is not the author of evil, only the author of good. And he can be sovereign over all of that. So as you think about the world in which we live right now, it certainly looks like it's just running amok with no one at the helm, and people are just doing what is right in their own eyes. But you know, as you look back in the Bible, is that anything different than what has been generations before us? But see, one of the things that gives hope to believers, one of the things that is a consolation to my mind, my heart, and my soul is that God is still sovereign over all and that he answers to no one. And that he will bring all things in fullness to himself. See, God is actively working out his plan. He didn't just decree it before the foundation of the world and then hope that it would happen. He's actively involved. Sometimes we see it very plainly, as if it's shouting from the mountaintop. Other times he's working and we don't see it. Don't even realize it, and may not realize it until we stand before God and are in his presence forever. But know this, God can and does use evil people with evil intentions for the good of believers and for the glory of his name. Let me say that again. Let this sink in. God can and does use evil people with evil intentions for the good of believers and for the glory of his name. I'm going to give you a, a biblical example of this. And you probably already know it, but maybe you don't realize it. Because we all know the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis. And we know that his brothers 
hated him so much that they were willing to sell him into slavery and lie to their father after bloodying his clothes say that their brother was, was no more. Which Joseph, as he you know, left you know, that situation, found himself in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar's wife wouldn't leave him alone. She wanted him to sleep with her. And so, those were evil intentions. So you've got brothers who sold him into slavery. That's evil thoughts and intentions because they were selfishly saying that uh, we, we don't want our brother around anymore. Potiphar's wife, who was you know, sinful and selfish in her intentions and wanting to sleep with uh, Joseph. But you know, God took both of those evils in the life of Joseph and used them for good. You want to know how I know that? Because of what Joseph said at the end of the book of Genesis, chapter 50, verse 20. As he's speaking to his brothers, after uh, you know, you know, telling them that I'm Joseph, the brother that you sold into slavery, by the way, you know, fearing for their lives, thinking that now he's in a power position, you know, he's going to do something to you know respond to the evil that we showed him so many years before. And these are beautiful words. As for you, you meant evil against me. Okay, so there's the evil intention, the evil words, the evil actions. But God meant it for good. That speaks to God's decree and his plan and using evil people and evil intentions for his glory. As Joseph goes on to say, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. See, only God can give someone the ability to see that kind of truth in such a profound way for them to be in awe of God even working through circumstances of being sold into slavery, you know, having your father think that you're dead, missing your father and, and, and really all of your, your family, to being in a situation where he's elevated to be over all of Potiphar's house except for Potiphar's wife, obviously, but found himself in a situation where he had to flee from it, then found himself in jail, then found himself as the second most powerful person able to say, you know what, take their lives. But he didn't, because he saw a larger and grander plan, because God showed it to him. It rings true in relation to a few verses in the wisdom literature, as we look at Proverbs chapter 19, verse 21. It says, many are the plans in the mind of a man. You know, we plan all kinds of things. But notice what it says. But it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. So you make plans, but guess what? If your plans are contrary to the will of God, which was decreed before the foundation of the world, guess what's going to outweigh the other? God is going to outweigh the other because he will, if he's purposed it, it's going to happen. It's going to stand. And that is through all the ages because it's from eternity that he uh, you know, decreed these things. A um, couple chapters later, chapter 21, verse 1, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. That's our sovereign God. To the point where he does not you know, eliminate or somehow rewrite who we are or take away our identity, but yet can use even, even evil intentions from evil people 
or good intentions from good people to be all part of his purposed plan from before the foundation of the world. Because that plan was not only in relation to salvation, but it's in relation to creation itself, as well as everything in history. Because God decreed it from before the foundation of the world. And here, you want one more example? I'll give you one more. I stuck to two. My wife would be happy. Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Remember what he said in Acts chapter 2, verse 23? And this sums it up beautifully. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite uh, plan and foreknowledge of God. Okay, so here you go. There's the plan from before eternity. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Evil actions, evil intentions, but yet all for the glory of God. Because we are beneficiaries of salvation through Jesus Christ. What a beautiful truth. What a comfort and a con- uh, you know, uh, consolation to know that God is in control. Which brings me to how this should inform our lives today. Because there's been a lot of things that have happened, not only in our country, but around the world in the last you know, two years. To some extent, as we look at it from different angles, it, it almost seems as if God is not there. But I'm here to proclaim to you today that he is actively working out his eternal plan. That even though there may be evil people in charge, putting forth things that are against the word of God, that are contrary to you know the, the worship and the glory of God, does not mean that God is not sovereign over all, and that he can use evil, even the evil intentions of evil people for his glory. And somehow turn around what was evil for the good of not only those who know the Lord Jesus Christ, but ultimately for God's glory, which we sung about this morning. So let me read a quote from A.W. Tozer in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy. Pay close attention to what he's saying here. He says, left to ourselves, we tend immediately to reduce God to manageable terms. We want to get him where we can use him, or at least know where he is when we need him. We want a God we can, in some measure, control. We need the feeling of security that comes from knowing what God is like, and what he is like is, of course, a composite of all the religious pictures we've seen all the best people we have known or heard about, and all of the sublime ideas we have entertained. Now the reason I read this to you is because we need to make sure that as those that are believers in Jesus Christ, the one who, as we sung, is the King of Kings, Lord of Lords, who is the Lamb of God, who is the Great I Am, that we do not make the fatal mistake seeing him in some low view. Because what happens is, is that if we have a low view of God, then guess what? That means we have an elevated view of ourselves. And what we need to do is, it needs to be completely reversed. We need to have a high view of God. And therefore will show us who we are before that God and help us to see just how amazing God's grace is. To know 
salvation is not just some simple act. It's not some simple gift that has purpose. It's part of God's eternal plan. See, the purpose of studying these deeper truths, which we've been studying some pretty deep doctrinal things over the last, you know, year. But there's an outcome. It's not just so that you know what, you know, uh, election is, what adoption is, what redemption is, what forgiveness is, what God's decree is. It's so that it will have a profound effect on who you are each and every day. So that it changes or transforms your mind, your actions, and your speech. Because otherwise it's just an exercise in, you know, academia. And we cannot boil God down to that. We cannot have such a low view of God that all we see it as is a bunch of facts. We need to see God as he is. We need to have a high view of God. So that when we come together to worship, it is more than just going through motions. It's more than just singing words. We're communing with the living God who had a plan that he decreed from eternity to bring all things to him. Let me close with an illustration that I hope will work. Or maybe I'm, I'm optimistic. I want you to imagine for a moment that you're in a submarine. And you're the one looking through the periscope. You know, as you look through the, the periscope, or if, you know, for anyone who's looked through a scope of a gun, what, what does that do? It confines the field of vision. It may help you to see farther, but the thing is, you, you have a sight, line of sight that goes out, and you can't see everything else all around you, or underneath you, or above you, because you're honed in and focused on what the periscope is looking at. And that is much how it is for us each and every day. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. But I know if I hone my focus so that as I'm looking through that periscope of life, that I hone it on the, the word of God and his truth, then my focus is exactly where it needs to be. But also, too, it helps give us perspective because with our home focus, there may be all kinds of stuff going on around us. For all those deer hunters that are out in the woods, guess what? You looking in that direction means the deer probably behind you in the other direction. You don't see. Okay? It doesn't mean he's not there. See, that's the thing I want you to see as you look at the world in which we live today. You know, there is a lot of evil going on. Where evil is called good and good is called evil. And the thing is, if you focus on just that, it will rob you of the blessing of knowing who God is. And it's all a matter of perspective. And if you're only looking through that periscope at one thing, and if that thing is negative in nature, then guess what? You're going to be negative in nature. But I can guarantee you, if your periscope is on this word, that it will give you perspective to everything, not only what you can see in front of you in that field of vision, but it will also help you to understand everything else that's going on around you. Because guess what? That sub is in water. And there's water all around that sub. 
And there is life underneath of that sun in the water that it's sitting in. And there's life in the sky above. There are other people on that submarine. But if you're looking through that scope, you ain't going to see them. So think of it like this. God decreed the existence of the submarine. The reason there is a sub, because God decreed it. Its operation, its limits, and its capacity. God decreed where the submarine has been, where it is, and where it will go. God decreed the existence of everyone who is in the submarine and has given them a purpose and an end. God decreed the existence of everything around the submarine. All that stuff that I just kept mentioning. Its purpose and its end. That even though we can't see all of it, even though we have a limited field of vision, God is still in control of all of it, even the stuff we don't see. So consider the greatness of our God in relation to his eternal plan in the world today as you're looking through that periscope. It may challenge you to see God as he is. To not allow the distractions of evil men with evil intentions to draw your attention away from giving God the glory through everything that you think, you say, and you do. Just as we read the, the, uh, the, the story about Springfield Rescue Mission and the man who came in just for a shower. And Ron Willoughby had the ability to, uh, to be compassionate and to show kindness to him in his time of need. Because you don't know what God is going to do in and through you. But know this. His decree, his plan, everything that is, everything that uh, was, and everything that will be, is still under God's sovereignty. He is in control. And everyone will answer to him and him alone. So as you read the newspaper, if anybody still reads the newspaper, if you're looking at social media on the internet, if you're watching news, guess what? 99% of the time it's going to be things that are horrible in nature. And honestly, some of it may not even be true. But there's a lot of good going on because God is still redeeming people. The glorious good news is still going forth because Jesus Christ has not returned. So there's still hope for those who have not trusted Christ. So that family member that you're praying for, that co-worker that you're trying to look for that open opportunity to speak to, don't give the excuse that you, you, you couldn't come up with the right words. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's all you need to know. Because you know what? You can't save anybody. But God does. And so as we step into this week and as we look at all the things that are happening in our world, don't forget that God decreed from before the foundation of the world everything that would come to pass. And even being able to use evil people with evil intentions for his glory forever. Amen. 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 Don't settle for a movie of God. We need a high view more than ever to see God as he is and to live as if he is the one overall. This bow for a closing word of prayer.
Gracious Father, Lord, I thank you for uh, these truths today. I thank you for being able to unpack your decree, to be able to see that you had a plan, uh, that you had a purpose, that you had your will being executed throughout the universe, throughout eternity. And no one can afford that. And even as people make uh, evil choices and do evil things, Lord, you are still going to bring glory through that. Lord, there's times I can look back and see that through the death of some loved one, you use that death to bring them to saving faith in, in your son, Jesus Christ. Because everything has a purpose in your time that will be executed for your glory. And so, Father, help us to see that. Help us to live as believers today, triumphantly knowing that there's no need to fear. There's no need to walk around hopeless. Because we, above all people who are sons and daughters of you, can give perspective to everything that's happening within this world, no matter how evil it is. Or how good it is. You give perspective to all of it. So help us to trust you. Help us to realize that there is a whole lot more going on around us than what we can see in our confined, confined view. And help us to live as such. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.